The T20 World Cup is coming to our shores in 2020 with the best of the best striving for the ultimate glory. Before that all kicks off, let's join Mel Jones as she chats to cricket royalty on road to the T20 World Cup. Australian tools and the like. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Pleasure. Okay, we're going to chat all things. You've covered off so many different areas of cricket in your life. We were chatting the other day about you vividly remembering seeing Greg Chappell play at the MCG and falling on his backside when you were a youngster. Was cricket always a big part of your life growing up? Yeah, it was. I, I grew up in a, uh, a neighbourhood full of boys. There were no other girls in my neighbourhood and, uh, and my extended family as well. All my cousins were boys. I was the only girl, so I just sort of got brought up on those perceived, you know, boy sports. So it was, you know, rugby union, AFL, cricket. Um, but yeah, cricket was always just that little bit more special for some reason. I'm not sure exactly why, but we used to play all the time in our backyard. We had the, the big, long, skinny backyard. Yep. Um, so it was very pitch-like um, and probably explains a lot of why I couldn't score any runs when I played. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Isha Gua said the same. She said she had a very long, skinny yeah. driveway. Yeah. And it meant that, you know, your bowling and, and your batting reflected that as well. Belinda Clark said the same thing as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So I just hit nice and straight, straight to mid-on and mid-off all the time and didn't get any runs. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was great childhood and it was great to be able to probably play all those different sports with the boys and maybe even change their perspectives back then about whether women should be playing those sort of sports and changing those cultural norms then. You'd know yourself now being a coach. It creates a very... It's a technical sport. It's a tough sport to be able to pick up later in life to be able to then play well. But you didn't start playing cricket till quite late at, at high school. Yeah, well, I, I actually finished school and my parents were from Victoria, so we came down to, to Melbourne for Christmas and I was... Is that hard for you to say then? It was, and I were from Victoria. Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> I did choke a little. And it was 1988 and the Women's World Cup was on and the final was on, on the ABC on, uh, on TV and I was just flicking channels and I saw women's cricket getting played and that was the first time I'd ever seen females playing cricket and I was like oh my god this is what I want to do I just didn't realize it was a thing so it was so, like a light bulb moment absolutely yeah and that's why I'm so determined to see have as much cricket on tv or you know mediums out there that girls will be able to access it or hear it or see it and know other girls are playing so that it's easier for them to make that decision I mean yeah. I probably would have eventually got there anyway I think but you know it gets pretty difficult when you can't actually see it or, or hear about it too often so yeah it's joined up the next year probably leads me into the question that I do ask everyone is the most vivid or favourite sporting memory growing up? Yeah. Now, I know there's a lot because we've, we've probably done a lot together with rugby games in South Africa and <laughs> hurling games in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> Very much. have to admit, my, my favourite one would be, I think, a game, 1988, big year for me, obviously. It was. Seoul Olympics and Debbie Flintoff King, oh, uh, 400 yes. metre hurdles. Yeah, I was running, I was... I actually used to be able to run fast, not now, but I was in the state secondary finals at QE2 Stadium where the Commonwealth Games were held in 82 in Brisbane and my house was just around the corner so I'd already run and fallen over in my 100 metre semi-final. So I was out, so I went home. But you felt out of of the box? Yes. No, no, about halfway down the track, I don't know what happened. (laughs) (laughs) No idea. Anyway. That's by the by. But anyway, so got home and I thought, I'll oh, watch the Olympics was on and Debbie Flintoff King's race was on and it was just so exciting to see, you know, her win that race. But And, and not just because she was a female, but I just felt that sort of empathy towards her. Not that I, because I'd just fallen over in my 100 metres, <laughs> but just purely because it was a, a woman that the entire, you know, nation was suddenly celebrating and it was just a really nice moment for me. And I remember that along with obviously Cathy Freeman in the 400 mm. 
you know, 12 years later, but that was definitely a pinnacle of, of my life. The other one I'm going to say, though, is also Carlton beating Essendon in the semi-final in 1999. I, I was, was at the game. No, <laughs> I was at the game on the wing near, near Murphy when the siren went. It was very exciting. So that was my other moment. I'm glad you mentioned Debbie Flintoff King because I was in the car with my mum driving up to my grandparents who were on a, a freeway, and it's the first time I think my mum has ever sped in a car because but she got so excited <laughs> listening to it and you know my mum quite well <laughs> the stickler for the rules yep. she sort of looked down and we must have been doing which probably to some people won't sound like a lot but she was probably doing like 130 in the 100 zone yeah, she was yep. just so excited that she got up and over the line so I tried to keep playing that that race over and over again so we'd get there quicker every year <laughs> good luck quite work. yeah <laughs> so you you then get through into the the Queensland state system you get to play for Australia do you remember the moment you got presented with your cap for the first time? I remember getting selected. I don't actually... I think we just got it sent to us, did mm-hmm. we? Yeah, something yeah. really underwhelming. However, I do remember because it was the last national championships that I got selected in, and it was in Brisbane as well, which was really, really nice. So that night they announced that, uh, you know, that I'd made the squad and we all had to get up and... Actually, we had to go out the back and try on all the outfits, and it was sort of like Christmas. It was, <laughs> it was actually really good fun. I um, dare ask what the outfits were like. Were uh, they horrendous? They were horrendous. Yeah. yeah there, were those, <laughs> the, there were the collots, you know, with that sort of fluorescent sort of... I don't even know what that print is. No. But it's the retro one that has yeah, been doing the rounds it's iconic, a bit. Yeah, yeah, we exactly. might put a photo out about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so and then obviously finished the night off late somewhere in Brisbane with a lot of my um, close friends and some people who aren't <laughs> my friends as well. <laughs> and who now are, or you've yeah, never seen them again. Never seen them again, yeah. <laughs> um, when you look back playing for Australia, are they typically happy memories? Yeah, all of them, in fact, bar the last game, of course. <laughs> Yeah, no, they were great fun. Just the group of people we were playing with, I was very lucky as well. We happened to be with a freak group. Belinda Clark was the captain, and I think she really drove it from a captain captaincy perspective. Just made sure that, you know, one, we were going in the right direction with regards to how we approached the game and our professionalism, but also she, you know, allowed people to be individuals in the in the group and have, have a good time and be who you are on and off field. So I didn't feel probably the pressures that maybe some of the girls do these days because, you know, with the social media and being on TV all the time. I, I, I just felt like I was comfortable being who I was on and off field and enjoyed every second that we toured. I made sure I <laughs> saw every art exhibition that was on or uh, every local pub that was around as well, just to make sure I was trying every experience that I could on these trips. See, I was just going to jump in with a story then, but I, t- I promised people <laughs> that we wouldn't jump into wee stories as we're going through this podcast. Why keeping? Well, good question. Originally, well, if anyone's ever seen my bowling action, that's probably been more of an answer, but I did start when I first started. <laughs> it's unique. It is unique, yeah. Well, Max, Walter, Max Walker played for Australia with the horrific action, and, you know, he did all right. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I started off being a bowler and trying to bat, and then I'd only been playing one or two years, and then our keeper left. So the usual story, just had to go and start wiki-keeping. But I found that I just really enjoyed it. I'm a little heavier set in the lower regions <laughs> and it seemed to suit perfectly for wicketkeeping and doing lots of squats. So yeah, so it suited me and I liked being in the game all the time and I got to chat to people and talk to the slips. You like that too. I do like to chat. Yeah. <laughs> but I, And also I think tactically it kept me really in the game and I got to see much more of what the game was doing and probably accelerated my learning in the game, particularly because I started so late. So it was really good being in that position constantly and obviously chatting constantly with, a, with a, either the coach or the, or the captain about tactics in the game and what my feedback was. So 
yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that sort of side of it. But yeah, particularly the the chatting with our own team, the slips and everyone around us, and mm-hmm. occasionally the other bat, the, bat, <laughs> the better. There's been quite the the record over the last twelve months of Tim Payne and his comments while he's he's keeping. How do you rate your banter out on the ground? Uh, yeah, I, it was pretty rubbish, I'm sure. <laughs> but any standout? Some, any? Uh, no, no, not really. I can't think of any standouts. <laughs> but it was generally all meant in fun. It was more of for a distraction. You knew which people to speak to and which ones not to speak to. But I, I'd be very disappointed if there were was anyone out there that I'd really actually offended. It was more just you know. Well, you offended me more. On, yeah, on probably. The ground as a teammate, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I know I haven't scored runs. <laughs> Yeah, no, generally it was just um, it was just good good natured sort of fun and just making sure that we maybe had the slight advantage of distracting them a little bit if we were you know having a bit of a chat. You mentioned that, and you're right. I completely agree that we were lucky enough to play in one of the most skillful Australian women's cricket teams that have have gone around. Did you have a a favourite person that you liked keeping to that challenged you, or you just thought you're in the game all the time? Well, Fitz obviously challenged challenged me because pace wise in Queensland I hadn't been keeping to someone of her speed so I started playing men's cricket in, in Queensland um, with Winner Manly so, so you t- could get used to Catherine Fitzpatrick absolutely yeah. yeah so which was great again because again it just sort of broke down a few norms there were a few funny moments I had an umpire complain about me because we were wearing collots back then and had an umpire complain about me at the square leg because he was getting distracted when I was batting so well you do have good pins well yes well <laughs> But, uh, yeah, interesting. I'm not sure what the outcome of that was. But anyway, <laughs> but either way, yeah, there was. I actually enjoyed keeping up to the stumps to medium paces. Like someone like Julie Hayes was really good fun to keep up to. For Queensland, I actually really enjoyed keeping to Belinda Matheson, who was an, an off-spinner, because she was yeah. a bit quicker and got some good turn. A lot of spinners probably didn't get, they didn't get as much rip back then, and she was actually quite good. Yeah, so I really enjoyed that sort of challenge. So keeping back and up, I didn't really have a favourite either. I, some keepers prefer up or back, but... I sort of like both, and I think it's important that you're good at both as well, because yeah. obviously that's essential in the in the tactical side of the game as well as you know making sure that uh, you technically can do it as well. And then when you looked at opposition teams and their bowling units, was there anyone that you thought that you would like to keep to from their side? Any bowlers? Wow, I'd never thought about that. No, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Probably not. Obviously, little gentle away swingers and medium paces are always good fun. So <laughs> whoever they would be. Therese McGregor, she was actually quite Excellent. good fun too. Yeah. And Joe Gary, actually, when I first started in my first year, she was bowling little mediums and just seemed a little bit off the edge every now and then, which was great fun to keep to. But yeah, opposition, yeah, probably not so much that I can think of. I am going to go into one story because mm. this one <laughs> this one stands out for me. Just, I suppose it just encapsulated a little bit of everything about the focus that Belinda Clark had the, and the enjoyment and the, the friendships that you have and then we've continued having from the team. We, we had a game in New Zealand and there was a, a throw that came in that hurt your thumb. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us about that? Oh, dear, yes. It was, about, it was about the 40th over, I think, of the game, so it was sort of getting pretty intense. And I think we were – I think they were chasing, so yeah. it was pretty, you know, hardcore. Anyway, uh, the throws come in from the boundary and I've taken my glove off to – get the quick return and be able to throw it at the bowler's end and it's just popped a little bit more and hit me on the end of the thumb and you know hurt a little bit end of the over shove the hand back in the glove go to the other end and then about midway through the over I could just feel my glove was just getting a bit squelchy and I don't know what was going on and at the end of the over I took off my glove and there was just blood everywhere and I'm like oh dear anyway 
And Belinda's, and she's a, she was a big finger pointer of where she wanted to go in the fields. Very, very <laughs> aggressive pointer. And, and I could see but she, she was, was banned for. She was banned for one, one tour. Yeah, we banned her for. So she, she was just pointing with her fist instead of, <laughs> which was very amusing. And I could see her, you know, pointing in various places and directing people. I'm going, uh, excuse me, uh, Belinda, um, excuse me, I just may have hurt myself. She's like, what? What's wrong? And I'm like, um, and she's like, and then she saw all the blood everywhere. And she's like, oh, all right. I don't know. It summons for the the physio to come on. And she comes out and so just looks Lisa at Lisa Ross comes Lisa out. Lisa Ross, yeah, comes on <laughs> and puts a Band-Aid on my, on my thumb. So, and it's the middle joint that's bleeding, which is really weird. So we just sort of left it and, okay, taped it up. Finished the game off. We won. That was a, I think that was our, it was our second last game on this tour. And then sort of just left it for a few days. And I sort of started getting a bit of a sore wrist and sore hand and people telling me to stop whinging and shut up. So... So I just did, and then by the Wednesday we played the last game, and my wrist at this stage was absolutely caning, and my thumb had, was about three sizes, <laughs> the, the size it should have been, and then we sort of really discovered after that that so uh, we, we go off, we, we win the final. Oh, we, yeah, we win the and final, and we go out that night. Well, we do. Yes, we go. I, I didn't know how how in depth you wanted. Oh to no, let's go there. <laughs> this is the best part of the story. <laughs> this is the G-rated version. Of my watch. Okay, I'll go with the other one. Yeah. So we go out that night, and I said, I've said to the physio, oh, I just don't know what's going on here, and she's like, Oh, just put it in your drink. So, which wasn't iced water and uh, bourbon and coke, bourbon and coke, <laughs> which I don't drink anymore, kids. I'm not surprised. After this. <laughs> so I popped it in there for the night. Everyone was leaving early the next morning. And I, because I was in Brisbane, I had to leave a little bit later. My f- connecting flight wasn't there. And I woke up and my thumb was enormous. Went to a cricket game that just to go and watch the, the guys playing who were just down the road. And I saw the St. John's ambulance there. And I thought, I'll just go and see what they think. And they're freaking out like, oh, my God, what has happened here? So I've managed to contact Queensland Cricket back home. They've uh, got me into the specialist that afternoon and the next morning I'm having an operation on my thumb because it was a ended up being a compound dislocation of the, the bone had come out through the front of my thumb and then obviously just popped back in and that's why it split there but the infection had gone all the way down into my wrist so I had to have a carpal tunnel release and it was just, they were nearly about to amputate my thumb which which is terrible because I, you know, I, I wear a ponytail and it's very difficult to put a hairband in with no thumb <laughs> <laughs> but other than other things other, in your other, life, yeah. yes. like holding this coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so wicketkeepers are tough. Oh, that's exactly right. Correct. Thank you. That's acknowledgement. That was documented. <laughs> it is. For, for prosperity and for the rest of their life. Any other major injuries? Well, in fact, they are all from Wikikiv. I've got the few broken noses. I've had a smashed eye. Yeah, I got cleaned up in the nets. One day I was doing short ball evasion practice, which obviously I wasn't doing very well. And uh, I remember Bennett King was my coach at the time in QAS. And I remember trying to duck under one and just duck straight into it and completely lost my um, half of my face. And uh, ended up in the hospital trying to get it sewn back up, and uh, the uh, they had two doctors come in and just refused to do it because they just didn't know how to bring put my face back together again. So that was the end of my modelling career, and fortunately I was able to keep again after that. It's probably not the best advert for cricket at the moment, so we might move on from injuries. That's why, that's why we wear helmets. This kids. is right. Yeah. This is right. Yeah. Helmets now, so mm. these things mm. don't happen nearly <laughs> as much. When you were playing, did you ever think you'd go into coaching and media? I certainly didn't think I'd go into media. Coaching because there wasn't a pathway, or yeah, probably more so. Yeah, it was very underrated, and you were sort of paving the way a little bit at that stage, which was good because you went into it fairly early. Yeah, and a lot of the games weren't necessarily on TV either. So, but coaching, yes, I sort of went into coaching initially because it was so difficult to have a job and be able to travel and train and play as much as we sort of needed to at that stage, even though we were still amateur. You know, the commitment to the program was still 
enormous, which I thoroughly enjoyed and have never regretted. And but yeah, it was good fun to. to so I went into coaching to sort of supplement that in the, in the off season. So go overseas and travel and train over there and coach and grow the game in, which actually became quite a passion of growing the game in developing countries or areas that it's not necessarily as you know promoted and whether that's male or female mm. cricket so I, I thoroughly enjoyed that to some you know a couple of years in Holland so that was your first stint with Holland first it was Ireland actually first it was Ireland first year and then Holland for two years and then Scotland for two years which was brilliant fun and it sort of set me up in that love as well as again I'm still sort of trying to fast track my learning having started so late but and through coaching I could really sort of coach myself at the same time that I was also coaching others and, and growing the game and, and hopefully motivating and inspiring other girls and boys to take up the game. So you must be wrapped then when you look at, say, Ireland cricket, where now the, the girls are on contracts and they're coming through and unfortunately they've missed out on qualifying for this upcoming T20 World Cup. But they're, they're about and getting better all the time. You must be quite proud of the fact that you've, you've been part of that, that progression. Yeah, absolutely. I've, and I've maintained a really good relationship with Ireland, obviously, first played against them in 1998 on that Ashes tour. You bowled. I did bowl. I did. <laughs> Just the one over. All seven balls. <laughs> I can't believe you called that a one. <laughs> exactly. I was obviously turned way too much. It was the collots. You couldn't concentrate. <laughs> um but yeah, and then maintained a really good relationship with Ireland, went back quite a few times just to visit the club I played at and coached at, as well as kept a good relationship up with a lot of the players. Had a few of them come out, particularly to Tasmania, and train and, and play with us while we were there and, and send a lot of our local girls as well over there, as well as some from Brisbane as well, to go and play in the, in the Irish setup because it's a really good setup over there. It's very underrated, I think, and it's been good for a long time. So, yeah, very pleasing to see that they've gone into this semi-professional mode and hopefully the entire squad will, will become semi-professional to professional in the near future. So post playing your Australian playing career, you then start working for AFL Queensland. A lot of the players that we've had on the podcast so far have mentioned the importance of playing multiple sports to help their actual playing career. But does working in other sports help your coaching and administration of cricket? Yeah, well, firstly, it was just it was nice to have a bit of a break because obviously fairly devastated when you you know you get dropped by in from the Australian team and that was the second time I'd been dropped. Oh we've all been there. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you're slightly more controversial than mine, but <laughs> mine was just poor form. But anyways <laughs> we're not gonna go into that. No, no, that's, the, that's another whole program <laughs> yes. that one. Yeah, so it was great a couple of years ago prior to this had played in a celebrity that's in inverted commas <laughs> game at the at the Gabba and, and met a few people from AFL Queensland and had been talking to one of the guys just about what I'd been doing overseas while I've been coaching and you know, driving the the game of cricket in sort of non-traditional countries. So, And sorry, for those that are overseas and are thinking, what on earth is AFL? Oh, yeah, Australian so football. Australian, yeah. Australian football, Google it. Yeah. It'll look a bit weird, but it's a great sport. Yeah, it's the greatest game in the world, football-wise. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, yes, yeah, so this guy rang me after I played in that game. It was two years after I played in it and sort of said, oh, we're looking at, you know, sort of driving women's football or AFL in uh, in Queensland, which is a non-traditional state for Australian football league, and would you be interested in it? You know, considering your background in developing cricket in non-traditional areas, and I had always loved you know AFL. I'm going for Carlton, and my parents being Victorian, so I'd sort of had it all around me my entire life. So I jumped at this with two hands. It was great, a full-time job. You know, just finished cricket. Was trying to work out what I was doing with my life. It was a <laughs> disaster. Saved me from having a complete breakdown. And then it just all it did was pretty much 
sort of awakened me, I suppose, to the opportunities that, or lack of opportunities for females out there in, in sport. And there are so many girls that were crying out, not just to play cricket, but also wanted to play Australian football. And, and similar sort of, there were a lot of parallels between the two. Ironically, considering both of them are such in, in the male side, there's mm. also parallels with regards to Australian football being a, uh, a winter training sport for cricket and yeah. originally while it was you know developed in the first place. So... So it was great fun to be involved in that and starting programs up for girls and developing. We had about 3,000 girls playing in, in Queensland at the time. And when I left in 2013, we had about 40,000. And uh, I was very... Amazing. Yeah, it was, I was really proud of that fact. We'd started myself and another girl from Victoria, Shiloh Curtis, who was working with AFL Victoria. We started up the under-18 national championships just between Queensland and Victoria because no one else had really sort of started developing that pathway and yeah. we saw it as an importance in, in providing that for the girls to make sure that they, you know, we had a sustainable program in the senior end and we definitely needed to provide that opportunity for for the uh, for the young girls. And then from there, the under-18 national championships sort of sprung. So I was very proud that we were part of that and also just developing it in all the school programs it's now in you know they have the school state championships in it as well and and obviously the AFL did spring uh, AFLW then sprung from all of this sort of stuff that we put yeah. together so that was brilliant fun but I was completely exhausted by 2013 trying to balance that and playing for Tasmania a little bit yeah. you know you and I both got rung by Tassie to after I'd also not playing for Queensland any longer and we'll skip over that as yep, well exactly. that's another <laughs> podcast again <laughs> Yeah, so it was it was perfect timing that, you know, when the, the coaching job in Tasmania came up, I was ready to move on. I had gone as far as I could with AFL Queensland, you know, without having the job expand and grow, which it did after I left, which was great. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm just very lucky to go into, into Cricket Tas and be able to start coaching from there and, and driving that process again and, and sort of shifting their high-performance program and working out again how to start developing it and keeping it sustainable and getting local talent. Was there... Any sort of, oh, I get it now kind of moments when you shift from being predominantly a player within the sport that you love into the coaching area of the sport that you loved? Yeah, but I think I, I, think I recognised that fairly, fairly early because I would, had constantly been putting myself in a position, one, to get some money so I could feed myself, <laughs> and secondly, because you know, it just is, was really good for me to be in coaching and helping my own game. So to me, it's sort of went hand in hand a little bit it was a really obvious thing so it's sort of funny when I when you know girls now don't go into coaching or don't want to take up that position where they're sort of driving the game to me it just doesn't make sense to me that's the other half of the game it's not just about you solely it's about the bigger picture as well so when you came into coaching with cricket Taz and then the WBBL started Mm. I've got to make sure I get all my names right here so Joanne Broadbent was coaching uh Sydney Thunder you were coaching uh Hobart Hurricanes, Lisa Kitely was over at the Perth Scorchers, Andrew McCauley was at Adelaide Strikers. So four out of the eight yep. teams were coached by women. Yep. There was the concept of, of, and we'll get to you coaching USA in a minute, but there's a concept of Title IX in the States back in the early 70s that made sure that there was an equality across sport within um, high schools and college systems in terms of resources to allow for pathways for women to play and coach and the like. What they then found later on is because it became so equal that more and more men started coaching more and more of the women's teams and mm. less women had the opportunity of coaching. Is there a concern your side? Or are you happy with the way in which things are progressing to allow for female coaches to come through in the game? I think there's def- not necessarily a concern, but I mean, we still need to have females having opportunities in the sport. Obviously, there are so many more men playing cricket particularly, so they're putting their hand up exactly like they 
would in America as well with the whole Title Nine thing, but now that the sports are going professional, but I still think there's an opportunity for girls and and ideally you want the best person for the job, whether they're male or female, and that's obviously what we're trying to aim at. It's not about yeah. just having females or mm-hmm. just having males. But, yeah, I think there are definitely opportunities still for females to be able to keep expanding their their coaching knowledge constantly. I think, as we mentioned before, the, the period of time that we came through, there are so many girls that are still involved in the game whether that be at coaching or admin or media or mm-hmm. whatever. And then we sort of had that break for 10 years, sort of probably from 2005 or maybe not even 10, maybe to 2012. And then I think once the girls in the Australian team started earning some good dollars, the domestic system went a little bit more professional. I think the the coaching levels raised, the facilities, the resources, everything sort of raised. And I think those girls have been exposed to, you know, better coaching and, and therefore they're going to be able to be upskilled immediately and go straight from a a playing background straight into coaching very much similar to what the men have done in the current environment that they're doing so so I think this group that are coming through once they've finished playing and they've you know they're still a pretty young playing group in the Australian team particularly I think they average around 28 their age so you know they've probably sort of got five or six more years under their belt before they start moving to that system and I think then you know they're genuinely going to challenge any male or female in the system because of the experiences that they've had, what they've been exposed to through coaching and through travel and, and their and their playing days. So, yes, there's still a need to be conscious of the fact that we still need females in our coaching environments, but I think it's levelling itself out. I think when we were playing, we never thought that where the game is today would ever really happen because it was just completely sort of fantasy kind of stuff. You know, mm. It was fairy tale kind of things. But I think sitting here now, we can certainly say that because the game has shifted so far forward there will be opportunities on a massive scale that can actually be achieved so from the coaching perspective it's not a can a female be a coach of a men's big bash team or a, a hundred side or a national side it's more when will it happen do you yeah think? absolutely it, is that fair enough yeah absolutely it's funny because you know coming through our career there was always this gratitude sort of thing that we had to have constantly. You know, thank you very much for letting us play cricket. And, you know, I remember when we were at Lords that time in 1998 and they showed us through, we weren't, when we got to the, the long room, they said, well, when you have to go out to the ground, girls, you need to hurry through because you're actually not allowed in here, you know, because you're yeah. women, you know. And we're like, well, thank you so much for letting us play at Lords, you know, as opposed to, wow, what an absolute privilege and this is great. It was more gratefulness. And yeah. I think we've moved on from that. And I think that's the same with the, the coaching side of things. It's not about you know, thank you for giving us a full-time job in cricket. It's now, yeah, why wouldn't we have a full-time job in cricket? So I think the the attitude towards that has definitely changed and the, the position of females in the in the sport now, in media, in admin, in, you know, there's been a lot of glass ceilings blown away in the last 10 years particularly. And I, and I think that's led by people like yourself and, you know, in the, in the media side of things or Belinda Clark in the administrative side of things or, you know, Claire Smith in the, the ACA union sort of side of things. So there's, you know... This glass ceiling's glore getting blown apart. <laughs> Smashing it up every That's day it. by day. <laughs> loving it, loving Put it. Put your heart out. <laughs> is there, often people say, and, and um, I know that there is, but from your perspective, what are, the, what are the main differences between coaching girls and boys or males and females? Well, there probably, there aren't actually that many. And that's one of the reasons I suppose I've, you know, try, I have, have been in both male and female programs is to constantly put yourself in different environments to see if there actually is much of a difference. And in the end, you know, everyone's got their insecurities. Everyone goes about things in very similar ways and they suffer from, you know, the same sort of issues. And they also, you know, have the same sort of successes. And, you know, the perception in, in the in the 
general environment is probably the biggest thing. Like a lot of the females sort of understand the bigger picture and they're prepared to put back into the game, whether that changes with time, because we're still very much understanding and we're very close to where we've come from because it's only a very new thing that we've in a professional environment now in cricket. But I think that the men are great with regards to, you know, their their presence in the community, but are they actually going into the community and doing stuff? And I think the girls are much better at, at doing that sort of side thing. So it's not necessarily even about the game. It's about the bigger picture. In the end, it's just it's just cricket. Obviously, the girls aren't hitting as many sixes potentially, and they do tend to want to be a little bit more of a, a perfectionist than uh, the men, whether that's got to do with a game perception of people seeing how they hit the ball and do they look like a cricketer or are they mm. scoring runs. So I think that's the next sort of hurdle for, for female cricketers just, is just that slight change of, of mindset. Is It's about, you know, are you getting runs consistently? Are you doing things? Does it matter really what the public think of your actual technique? Because there are plenty of techniques in the men's game that are being questioned. Well, the perception is going to be massively challenged in a couple of days' time. You've already been announced as assistant coach for the Brisbane Heat in the Big Bash, working with Darren Lehman and the likes. How did that come about? And is this just another, you mentioned before, you know, breaking glass ceilings. This is another one being smashed here. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been sort of friends with Darren Lehman uh, for a fair while, just through, not even through cricket, real, or sort of indirectly through cricket, through other friends when he moved to Brisbane a few years ago. So, yeah, we were just having a chat uh, earlier this year, in fact, at his, a barbecue at his house, in fact, and just talking about the fact that, uh, you know, it would be great if he ever became a, a coach again, would uh, would he be looking for a female assistant coach? And he's he's quite progressive in his thinking, and he didn't he even is, balk yeah. at it, I have to admit. It was mm. sort of, I was a little tongue-in-cheek, but he took it quite seriously, and, you know, we had some good, earnest discussions about it and have continually had discussions about it, and I've obviously done some commentating with him in the meantime as well which has been great fun, but ICC with the USA had suggested that I do some professional development, well, not me personally, but just had offered it, and um, it just got me thinking about what I could do in Australia to continue to, you know, stretch myself and challenge myself, and I had January free <laughs> on the calendar, <laughs> which was a surprise. So, yeah, so I approached Darren Lehman about just doing some professional development with the heat and just one to see how the game, just how the environment works in the men's program, how much differences there really are between the men, the male and female game, you know, and how can I assist? And it just sort of went from there and it just got a bit bigger than just professional development <laughs> became a, an assistant coaching role, which is fantastic. And I'm, and I'm really looking forward to seeing, one, how I'm accepted, one, by the, the group of guys, I suppose, but secondly, by the Heat supporters, because it's, it's probably going to be a little bit of a eye-opener for them as well. They're not used to it. No one's used to it. It's yeah. always that cha- bit challenging initially, but the support so far has been, been pretty good. I haven't had too many trolls. To your home state, surely. <laughs> Queenslander. Is. That's right. I, yeah. I know that. Well, and the good thing is I'm a Hall of Famer there, so that's sort of helping, you know, reputation-wise, but yeah. in the women's game, but there's still that shift between, people still question that shift between the male and female game. So I'm hoping I can firstly bring a different perspective as a, as a coach of females, but also as a female coach and they're two different things definitely there and so I'm hoping to learn as much from them as I am hoping to teach them some stuff so I'm really looking forward to it. AB de Villiers is one of the best players that we've we've ever seen what are you going to teach him? Well true. Has I, he got uh, a weakness that you think oh I might just have a... Well I'm not sure if he's up on his Tasmanian gin so I could probably teach him, <laughs> <laughs> teach him a little bit there <laughs> how to relax after a game maybe. <laughs> it all comes in it's all big picture stuff, isn't exactly it? right. Everything comes Precisely, into play. and and it's funny. I, I do I, I joke there, but at the same time, a, a lot of the 
problem is people are overthinking things and they're not spending enough time on that downtime with cricket after hours. And I think that's vitally important, particularly with the whole mental health aspect at the moment is such a big issue in, in both the male and female game. And I think it's it's important for the players to look after themselves as well as obviously they've got all the pressures of performing and playing and doing all that sort of stuff. But yeah, we joke about it, but at the same time, maybe that is something that, you know, I can bring to the, the group or just my experiences, you know, with mental health and with helping other people in, uh, that I've coached and getting them through some issues that they've had. You know, there's, there's so many areas of coaching that you can, and it's not, uh, you can develop and it's not just throwing a ball or it's not just hitting a ball, you know, 50 metres in the air. It's, you know, it's all the off-field sort of stuff as well and that can also affect your on-field stuff. I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes just to start your list of Tasmanian gins for <laughs> AB and Villiers. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Julia Price to chat all things Road to the T20 World Cup. On SEM, this is Road to the T20 World Cup with Mel Jones. July, September this year, Julia, you're in Scotland with the American team, their first ever qualifiers, and you won a game. And I say that, I shouldn't sound so surprised. You were just punching the air. <laughs> but did you go into the qualifiers with an expectation of winning games, or was it more along the lines of process rather than results? Yeah, it certainly wasn't a focus. Uh, the girls were very confident going into it, so I didn't shatter their dreams at all by mentioning I didn't. I hadn't really focused on our win-loss sort of ratio. It was more about... So why were they confident going in? Well, because they just hadn't had that, um, that much exposure to the rest of the world. They didn't know where they were at. They, they're just confident Americans. And, uh, well, that's interesting, great. isn't it? Because it is. it's I very, think very different. From an Australian perspective, sometimes we go into World Cups and we were... Like, oh, well, you know, we might make the semis and we'll probably rank number one in the world at the time. Yeah, well, that's that big difference between coaching in Australia and coaching in America is you, like the Americans, everything, they just wanted so much information and they were keen to try everything and they, there was no, oh yeah, but I've always done it this way. They just went, bam, yeah, I'll give that a try. I'll give that. They weren't afraid to fail. And that's what was really exciting about coaching the girls. So, so they were just like, yeah, we're going to go over there. I'm going to, you know, smash everyone. The only thing that they thought (laughs) that they knew they were lacking in was their fitness. They knew that because that was statistically, I could go, there you go there's like for like you know we know yeah. that we're not up there which we're working on obviously at the moment but but skill wise they they really thought they were up there so it was a little bit of an eye opener for them when they got to the qualifiers but a good, in a good way so they took it on brilliantly they didn't feel bad about themselves they just you know took it for what it was every game we'd analyze how we went we'd have set kpis on all the things that we were trying to work on and and some of them had to be adjusted, you know, they were maybe a little bit too high for where we were at that stage. And it's small steps. We've got to realise where they're coming from. They're not, they don't play locally. They haven't got a club set up over there. These are all things that, you know, the USA cricket need to start putting in place if they're going to be a world force in cricket in the future. So, yeah, it was really, really good. And fortunately, the last game that we played was against Namibia, which is the game that we won. But there were so many things in that last game that we ticked off that were on our KPI list where we had crosses the entire week. Yeah. It was such a, a high for the girls to finish on because they'd actually done the processes and not focused on the win and suddenly we got the win as well. So yeah. it was a great lesson for them as well to, to focus on all the small things, you know, lead to the big thing. One of the other teams, countries in that World Cup qualifiers has in the men's division now qualified for the men's in October, November, which is P&G. Mm. They've been almost like the fairy tale story of cricket in the T20 sort of area for the last little bit tell us a little bit about them yeah well I've been lucky enough to have a fair bit to do with the the P&G girls as well obviously being in Queensland they're sort of tied in with with Queensland they're sort of like a little sister state up there 
and obviously Joe Dawes I've had a fair bit to do with as well through Queensland Cricket. And I've gone up there, the girls are great. They're full-time, which a lot of people forget that they're full-time because it's quite affordable up there and, and all that's done is provide a lot of opportunities because it's, it's, there's some difficulties and challenges for females in PNG and uh, you know there's a fair bit of domestic violence and it's allowing a lot of these women to be independent up there by playing cricket and being full-time, so, which is you know nothing but a good thing. Correct. And they absolutely love it. They turn up every day, they do their fitness, they're playing their games and they're getting better and better every day. A lot of them are coming to Queensland and playing in the club system in the summer. Brilliant. A few of them have come down here to Melbourne and, and, and played in the system as well here. They've been involved in the ICC global programs and it's only a matter of time before PNG. They just missed out last year at the qualifiers, they just missed out this year at the qualifiers. It'll be a matter of time before they they are sort of pushing into that, that realm of the, of the actual World Cup. Coaching into media. I know you never thought you'd get into media, but, but you're there. You're one of the bases of the WBBL on Channel 7 over this Australian summer, doing work for Macquarie Radio as well. You just finished up yesterday on the uh, Australia versus New Zealand test match here at the MCG as well. Are you enjoying it? <laughs> you say this every time. Uh, <laughs> I am enjoying it. I mean, I have my moments. It's a bit like, you know, it's just like a bit like cricket. You have your bad days and your good, good days when oh, you're... Yes. you're <laughs> You sort of get the end of the day and you go, oh my God, what did I say today? That was terrible. And other days you think, yeah, that was really fun. I yeah. got all the information out I wanted and you just switched on. So I'm just trying at the moment still find that formula or the focus, you know, when you of, of when I'm going to be at my best to be able to do the commentary and what I like best about my commentary for style as well. It's difficult when you first start, you feel like you have to be... Richie Benno or, you know, you've you've got to be these famous commentators when in fact you just need to be yourself and I didn't, it took me a while to work that out. Yeah, and I'm a little nervous about being myself on uh, on radio as well. One, you you know, you're a little bit vulnerable, particularly with my sense of humour. I'm not sure if people think it's funny or not, but I find it hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) But secondly, you know, it's about just getting that knowledge across and I want to really sort of engage yeah educate and engage uh maybe even new viewers if they're just switching over so that they can understand the game it's a balance isn't it it is absolutely the majority of your audience are cricket lovers and and knowledgeable about the game but you also know that there's a new audience as well that you have to try and educate you don't want to sound patronizing to one group but at the same time you can't just state the obvious because it's not obvious for other people exactly so it's that balance between the education and, and entertainment and i'm just you know, it's a, trying to get that balance is sometimes difficult. <laughs> get a little carried away sometimes. Speaking of balance, coming into the T20 World Cup, the game has shifted quite quickly in, in, in the women's side in the T20 framework as well with the balance of a team. I want to get your thoughts on almost the perfect balance for a T20 side these days. Are you the kind of coach um, that would love to at least have a leggy in the team, a couple of power hitters? You know, what, what's your perfect T20 team? It's not quite... Sp- specific bowlers or batters per se but same time you just want diversity so slightly different bowlers you know maybe a left armor maybe a couple of slow bowlers one tear away quick one person who's going to bowl nice and straight and keep it tight for you you know just a bit of a variety of bowlers and probably the same with your batting attack you've got to have a couple of power hitters minimum people are going out as you know six and over minimum even your bowlers we're talking and then you've got to have your power hitters that are going to take the game away from from people and maybe hitting in different areas maybe left-handers right-handers so it's a bit of a balance you, you don't want to have you know all power hitters that are all left-handers let's let's say because if they all get out 
you know, you, you need those people that are going to dig in there every now and then and, and just start ticking over and rebuilding, which your power hitters aren't necessarily <laughs> that good at sometimes. So I think it's definitely, there's got to be a balance. There's no perfect formula. And sometimes it, it's, it's about the personalities in your group as well, that if they're going to work and gel together as well. But which yeah, is a big thing for a World Cup, isn't it? Because tournament play is different than a bilateral series. Oh, absolutely, definitely, because you've got to go back to back to back games mm. and constant constant changes and constant, you know, travelling around uh, different venues, different conditions. So you need you need players that are able to adapt as well uh, and play in different conditions all the time. So yeah, I think so long as you've got a variety and you've you're able to change in that group, and I think as well, particularly when you're playing in a World Cup or a big tournament, the fourteen or fifteen that you've got. You've got to make sure that they are all understanding that it's a 14 or 15 team, not the 11 that's on the field, because it's so important, those three, because they're going to be coming in at some stage in a, in a longer format as well. So you need everyone on the same page about how they're part of the group and it's a it's an all-encompassing team, not just the 11 that's on the field. Okay, I know that you're pretty confident that Australia will at least make the final, <laughs> if not if not win it. Yeah. <clears throat> Come March 8, International Women's Day, ICC, everyone here in Australia is trying to go for that record of 91,000 plus at the MCG. What would it mean to you to fill the G? Yeah, well, 1997 World Cup final, Australia versus New Zealand in India. Like, uh, Eden Gardens, we had 80,000 there, and I thought this was going to be the start of something big, and it was just so disappointing that it sort of fell off after that, particularly because, you know, we just sort of started it. Well, we both started our career with Australia at that time. And we thought it was, we thought finally women's cricket's going to get somewhere and it just sort of fell over. So to me, this is a, a second chance, particularly after the WBBL was standalone this year. I thought they, it was such a, so well supported viewership wise on TV as well as attendances at, at grounds. And that's just going to get bigger and bigger. So I think it's an ideal opportunity for women's cricket to continue its kick on here and, and really make an impact around the, the entire world and show them what we should be doing. Obviously, England's just changed from their KSL to the 100 ball, which is a little disappointing, I have to admit. KSL, I thought, was a really good concept and it was just starting to get some legs. So, you know, they're just starting to push their women's cricket there. I think India can do so much more with their women's uh, competitions there. Yeah, plenty of stuff around the world. And I think it'll just be a great message to the to the world that women's cricket's here and Australia's driving it. And if you want to uh, jump on board, you're going to have to do something about it in your own country. So I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. Obviously, hoping Australia's going to be in that final and, uh, and I certainly will be in the crowd, if not uh, in the media somewhere. Julia Price, to the toughest wicketkeeper ever <laughs> for Australia. Sorry, Chris Matthews. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. No worries, mate.